this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. Hey everybody, it's Jill Weber, and this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. Today, we are on the Holy Isle of Lindisfarne. It's just a beautiful uh, place of God's presence, and I'm here uh, with Ray Simpson, who is the founding guardian of the community of Aidan and Hilda, um, and Peter Giocas, who... Hello. <laughs> Peter is um, the candidate overseer for the Order of the Mustard Seed, and they're going to have a conversation today about Adam Kara's soul friends. So take it away, Peter. Well, thank you, Ray, very much for taking time to be with us. In the Celtic Christian tradition, the concept of soul friend is strong, it's key. And there's many people who have written about it, including yourself. And for the benefit of those that are new to this understanding of what a soul friend is, could you describe what a soul friend is in the Celtic tradition? I think in the Celtic tradition, there's trust. There's a sense that people who follow Jesus are part of a family. And when you first are starting out on this life, you need to be able to confide everything. It's accountability, but not with a stick. It's accountability because of a relationship. And so in the desert, fathers and mothers, they would, a hermit would come to the desert and look for an elder. And they confined everything, the thoughts of their hearts. And in order to do this, you need to take time and you need to have somebody who hasn't, isn't a slick person, but is a person who reflects a great deal and has insight into human nature as well as into the, the things of God. In the uh, conversation between the the um, the elder and the uh, the hermit and the elder, would it be focused on confession of sin, or would it be looking at other elements and aspects of their life? What would be the content of their conversation? Well, in terms of the Irish early Christians, we have uh, just references to soul friendships in eighty lives of the saints. So we don't have any kind of analytical presentation. So you you have to pick things up. But um, I think the way we carry this forward today is tell your story. Since you've last met with your soul friend, how has God led you? What, Where have you got stuck? And what what are your hopes, fears... What are you crying about? What are you longing for? There's nothing off the table. Everything's allowed. But the soul friend may also ask questions that you'd put in uncomfortable questions. Uh, they might be challenging. But there are stories of some of the great leaders of faith communities, like Kevin and uh, Kieran of Plum McNoise, Kevin of Glendalough, who I think just became profound Muslim friends and shared their lives together. When you speak of friendship, then the soul friend, um, are these uh, trained uh, specialists or are they just people that are good friends? 
I think the greatest training, both in the desert tradition and the early Irish monastic tradition, as in the Eastern Orthodox monastic tradition still, is like a dog living with a bone. And you live with the reality of reading and reflecting and praying and interacting and working and serving. Um, but in, in Western Christianity in the last hundred years or so, spiritual direction has become something you do a training course in and you get accredited and put on a list. And it's, there's a debate going on, especially after all the child abuse in Ireland, whether you should only go to somebody who is professionalised. Um, and I, we don't have a rule, so some people will go to um, somebody who's on a list of spiritual directors, having done courses somewhere, and others will actually decide that they want someone who's living this life, who's walking this journey, it is in the same order or community, monastic community or whatever it is, and they want somebody who they can trust and who's a good listener, who may not necessarily have been academically trained in all cases. So there's a variety, there's a spectrum, and there's no absolute rule. Mm -hmm. How would somebody go about finding a soul friend? What would they, what would they want to look for? With great difficulty. In, <laughs> in, uh, in a country like Britain, which is godless, probably easier in Canada, I don't know. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, you can go... In, in Britain, most Catholic and most Anglican dioceses, for example, now have a spirituality network with somebody heading it up and probably a website. And so there's a, someone you could call and say, I'm looking for a spiritual director. I'd like to have a one-off consultation to see if, to make clear what I'm looking for and they might be able to find somebody and they might not. That is one way which works for some and it doesn't work for others. Another way is to follow your intuition and to think who of the people that I've met in the last two years, anywhere, in a retreat house, in a conference, or in the wider networks of churches in my area, do I really resonate with? Are they trustworthy? Can they keep confidences? Do they know their Bible? Are they good listeners? Are they able to put themselves in my shoes and not just plonk their agenda onto me? That sort of question. And then you might go to somebody like that and say, um, could we have a one-off conversation? And if it works, then you might say, well, can we do this more regularly? Mm -hmm. So in terms of secular ways of looking, some of these are more amateur and some are more professional. Would that include just friends that you that know you well and that you that that you feel that are able to fulfil this role? That could you approach a friend of yours, for instance? Well, in our in the culture I live in, buttoned up English people, um, you probably wouldn't. But there are a lot of reasons for that. For example, you might want to talk about how ghastly somebody in your church is. So you wouldn't want a soul friend who's in your church because it's not fair on them. Mm -hmm. Or you wouldn't want a soul friend in your family 
because you might have a problem with someone in your family you want to talk about. So I think there is a great value in having somebody who is outside your immediate situation and mm-hmm. has more of a bird's eye view. A bit more objectivity yeah. as well. Yeah. But how often would a sore friend meet? Well, that's like asking how long is a piece of string. <laughs> in our community, we, we require a minimum of twice a year. Um, some of us meet, you know, the, in the Celtic tradition, you have three seasons of Lent or vigil. The before Easter, before Christmas, and after Pentecost. So I, for example, make a rule that I see myself in each of those three seasons. Mm. But if I'm in some particularly um, crisis or, or pressurised situation or have a, a special need to sort something through, I would feel free to ring my sovereign and say, can we meet? But I know somebody in Canada, actually, who lives a vast distance away, and they have a 36-hour retreat every year, but only meet once a year, because they can be in touch nowadays through Skype and mm-hmm. so on as well. So this doesn't have to be face-to-face, but it could be through Skype or other means. We have always made the assumption that it should be face-to-face, if at all possible. Because you pick touch is important, body language. Um, there's something about the physical proximity that's important. Mm. The human. I think Skype and so on can back it up. But if it's just by Skype, I, I may be wrong, because your, your role requires you to communicate across boundaries of nations and our um, explorer guide who has a similar role in our community of Aden and Ilda does a great deal by Facebook mm-hmm. with people who might not want to confide to in him in physically with younger people especially mm-hmm. so there aren't absolute rules okay um, in the uh, in the context of soul friendship would this be an ongoing relationship or for a short period of time? I think it's very important to be accountable. And in counselling, you always pick up people who um, compare a counsellor. When one counsellor upsets them, says something that they don't like, they go to another counsellor. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing is an absolute useless waste of time. It doesn't touch the, the ego problem that's at the heart of one's life. So I think initially, particularly, we encourage people to stay with a person and work at it. It is true that Anthony, the father of desert monasticism, it says in Athanasius' life of Anthony, he learned all he could about prayer from one elder and all he could about scripture from another and so on. He learned different things from different people. Um, And that's okay if your primary soul friend knows all about it and is happy with it. Mm -hmm. But I I think um, chopping and changing soul friends is not a good idea. But there is a time when, I mean, I feel that as somebody who is occasionally a soul friend to other people, I have given all I've got to give and I... They need somebody who can give them something I can't give them. But that may that's best mutually discerned, I think. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, that would be a conversation that you'd yeah. want to have. Yeah. And what about age difference? Is it 
is there anything about age, or is it more about maturity and their ability to resonate with? with I don't think age difference is an absolute. I mean, it, I think the term elder does indicate uh, that on the law of averages, somebody who's lived longer has had a longer period of time to accumulate wisdom and reflect and experience more kinds of aspects of life. And so, generally speaking, an older person may be the appropriate person. But there are occasionally whiz kids like the story of Finbar in Ireland who, with a boy, came from a family with great leadership skills, I think. And a big-headed um, chief wanted a soul friend and demanded a, an abbot of a community to give him a soul friend. And he offered him Finbar, aged 12 or whatever. Um, which infuriated his pride. Um, but Probably a good the, thing. But the thing is that the abbot recognised in this boy an unbelievable wisdom. I don't suppose he would have used him at that age, but the point I'm making is that there are some young people who have a great aptitude and calling. Mm -hmm. Should soul friends be the same gender, or can it be mixed genders? So I think it is quite important to choose somebody who you're very at ease with and and the state of your soul, of your inner being, is not going to be sidetracked by other things. Uh, some of the reading I've done, one author said that it's wise to seek somebody that, uh, that you don't, in their terms, that you don't really like that much because you know they'll challenge you. If there's somebody that, you, that thinks like you do and agrees with you and will be easy with you, that's not a good choice. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm not sure that's a good question. Uh. <laughs> I think it's... Uh, we've got to listen to the deep heart's call. Deep speaks to speak. The deep speaks to deep. I think we need to go to somebody who goes deeper than that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I understand that St. Bridget wrote that uh, anybody without a soul friend is like a body without a head. Mm. Why, why is having a soul friend so vitally important in the cultic tradition, or for today, for ourselves? Well, E.F. E. Schumacher, Small is Beautiful, Economics as if People Matter, um, who, who's a great thinker of this last century, he said there's such a shortage of skilled counsellors because our world is so rushed and driven that very, very few people have the time to do the inner work necessary to become wise and to be counsellors. Mm. And so, um, what was the question? <laughs> uh, the, the value of having a soul friend. Yes. I think the value of having a soul friend is that you and I are basically living out of our false ego from the moment we're born. Jesus has come to liberate us to come into our true self as in God, the God self, if you like. And that is a lifelong journey which requires intensive work. Mm -hmm. And an awful lot of church life is basically like the other aspects of capitalism. It's more, quicker, bigger, better. So it is completely useless 
for meeting this need. Mm. And that is why I think that um, soul friends have enormous value because they're about people who aren't climbing the ladder. They're staying at the bottom of the ladder, if you like. Okay. Waiting. Jesus noticed what was in... Who was it? Um, the Nathaniel? disciple. Nathaniel. He saw he had no guide in him. I think that's how he chose the Twelve Apostles, because he actually took a lot of time to just hang around and notice and observe. Mm. I think we need people like that. And there aren't many people around doing that. That's why this whole new monastic thing is so important, because it's part of what it's about, I think. Mm -hmm. Just before we run out of time, just to change in the direction a little bit, what would you say to somebody if they were approached to be a soul friend? How would, how would that person want to respond, do you think? Because there may be some listeners who... Uh, will be asked if they would be somebody's soul friend. Well, in our community, we, we have guardians who you check things out with. They're not bosses, but they're guarding the ethos. And um, we always used to say, you need to be a soul friend, you need to be under the authority of somebody else in your life in some way. You need to be trained or have such a natural capacity that it is recognised by others. And so, if somebody asks you to be a soul friend, you need to check out whether it's because you're making them feel, you, they, they feel liked by you, and you're, you're making them purr like a mm -hmm. cat, which isn't a good reason for being a soul friend. So if that's what they're doing it for, I would say no, so. Uh, don't do it because it pleases your ego. I will consult a third person, a third party, oh. in the community, in the order, and say, what do you think? So that there's no sense of um, manipulation going on. Oh. Thank you, Ray. It's wonderful to speak with you about this. We appreciate your depth of insight and your making yourself available for this and uh, for the benefit of our It's of the great members. to be with you and we pray for you. Mm. Thank you. Could you pray for, um, pray for maybe candidates who are stepping into their year of preparation and members of our order? Is that something you could do for yes. us? Yes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the order of the mustard seed. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that even you needed, I think, a soul friend. You needed your three special friends on the mountain. And one of them, John as it were, leaned against your heart, got your heart beat, and managed to gaze into your divine heart in a way that made him a great soul friend and father of many churches in the East and in the Celtic tradition. And so we pray for all candidates in their journey from the false ego to the true self in you, that they may find companions on the journey who are pure in heart, obedient in spirit, and seek above all to be rooted in your wisdom rather than in the success of this world. And we pray for those who are members and thank you for them. Grant them all the graces and support 
and soul friendship and resources and above all attitude of heart that will enable them to grow like a mustard seed so that many birds may come and rest in the branches. You call us to be in the vine, prune us and sometimes we need a soul friend to hold the pruning hook. God bless the soul friends. God bless us all. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the Order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we seek to follow his invitations to be true, to be kind, and to go.